You're listening to episode 29 of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Today's special guest is Dr. Kathy Ivory from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Ivory brings a unique real-world perspective to the technology and practice polarity. It's an interesting interview, so don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. Hi, everybody. It's Tracy. And Michelle. We're here for another great episode. Oh, yeah. They're all great. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yes. And so we are so honored to have Dr. Kathy Ivory as our guest today. And uh, it was just a great interview because she brings a perspective on the technology and practice polarity that covers some evolutionary points, like what have we been learning? So I loved how she really captured, for those of us, not all of you, but for us older people, the movement from paper. <laughs> <Watch> it. <laughs> the movement from paper to the EHR. Um, and also the significance of governance and what we've learned or what she's learned and what we've all been learning about that and how important that is. And I especially like the way she wrapped it up with the new ways of thinking about evidence in the electronic health record. And I love it when leaders say, is there a better way to do this? Let's relook at this and look at the evidence again. And she is a researcher and she leads with evidence. And I just love that about her. Yeah. Yeah. She was uh, very engaging. And I... Uh, I really appreciated too. Again, my favorite episodes are the real world episodes, right? And so she's not just talking about it from a research perspective, right? She's talking about what's really out there happening in the world and her experience of it. And I like um, also that she brought in the interprofessional component around the use of technology and the implications when it comes to practice and applying technology in practice. And I also appreciated um, her comments about leadership mm-hmm. and how significant leadership is. And you, you just can't underestimate, right, this, the importance of leadership. Right. So I really appreciated mm-hmm. her comments about leadership. And, and it's just, it was just a lot of fun to yeah. talk with her. Yeah. She was really great. And she talks about leadership because she's a great leader. So let me tell you a little bit about her. All right. Kathy Ivory is an experienced nurse leader, nurse informaticist, and nurse researcher. In her current role, Kathy oversees the nursing research activities at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. She recently returned to Nashville after spending two years as a system vice president for professional practice and care transformation for a complex multi-hospital system in the Midwest. Kathy loves opportunities to connect practice and technology. She loves to study the value of nursing care to healthcare outcomes, especially in maternity care, which is her clinical specialty. 
And uh, from an education perspective, Kathy got her Bachelor's of Science in Nursing uh, at the Georgia Baptist College of Nursing of Mercer University. She got her Master's degree at Georgia College and State University. And she got her PhD in Nursing Science at Vanderbilt University. So she's well-educated, that is for sure. Smart Mm -hmm. lady. Um, I also wanted to share that she was inducted as a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing in 2017. And Tracy, did you know that in 2018, she was the HIMSS and A&I Nursing Informatics Leadership Award winner? No, I didn't know that. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. So we got an award winner with oh, us, Oh, wow. Too. All right. <laughs> so it's a great interview. And without further ado, here is Dr. Ivory. Well, welcome, Kathy. We are so happy to have you on our podcast today. Glad to be here. That's great to have it you is. here. So, you know, you're talking to two gals from the Midwest. Tracy and I both um, live in Michigan. And I was so excited when you became a Midwest gal yourself. And now that's changed again. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, sure. Well, I, first, I have to tell you that I am a Midwest girl by birth. Oh, so I was born in Wisconsin, um, but my family migrated us to Florida when I was little. And so I grew up in Florida. And then um, my husband and I actually both of our kids were born in suburban Chicago. We lived in Chicago for about three years when we were first married, but then moved back south to Atlantis. uh, And that's where our kids grew up. So um, I've got lots of Midwest in my background. And I was excited, too, to go back to the Midwest because it just felt very comfortable and very at home for me. But it wasn't until uh, I got there and we got there that I realized, well, you know, you spend a lot of time in the South and the weather in the South is a lot different than the weather in the North. And so it became um, it became professionally a very good fit geographically not so good a fit. And so um, so we headed back south a couple of months ago and um, really do feel um, that I'm excited to be back in the, um, in the environment at Vanderbilt and excited to be able to come back to the same environment, well, a similar environment and that yeah. in which I left. So yeah. it yeah, was well- good. I know what you mean about the weather. I, I I bug out of here, and I'm getting ready to bug out, you know, shortly. So, yeah, I, I really yeah. yeah, Tracy doesn't stick around for the winters. No, but I'll no. be holding down the Midwest, you know. Yeah, spirit. you will. You'll be holding <laughs> down the Midwest fort, will you? That's yeah. right. <laughs> the igloo. <laughs> oh. Well, Kathy, to start out with, I was just curious um, – what has been your exposure? Because we're obviously going to talk about your work and some of the tensions that exist there. But what has your experience or exposure been to the concept of polarity thinking to supplement problem solving in healthcare? Have you had any exposure to it? Well, so not formally. So I will tell you that once I started exploring it, and I will show you. Oh, there you go. All right. Um, she's she's so, showing us the so book. Been, yeah, note that, that I've shown the book podcast listeners, <laughs> that I, um, I really um, have gotten keyed into the fact that most of the work we do it, um, really has issues that are a both and scenario, which um, polarity thinking is so focused on. And that if you 
disregard one too much or don't regard one enough, um, the tensions create um, scenarios in which you cannot and won't be successful. So mm -hmm. I've really been um, particularly particularly interested in um, polarity thinking. First of all, I think it's a tremendous model for healthcare because there is in no other domain, in my opinion, where we've got that tension, whether it's between the patient and the family, both and it's the healthcare setting and the provider. And um, and then my where I really am focused is that the domains of practice and technology, right. um, and that really hit me um, in my last role in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, just how strong that tension was, and how much one gets disregarded or overregarded um, in terms of the other. Yeah. That's been a passion of ours for yeah. how many how many years michelle right like 15 20 years many many years yeah yeah, yeah it's the whole practice and technology yep. yeah yeah so tell me a little bit about um how you got engaged in informatics to begin with so this is an interesting story because it's an unconventional story so i was a um I was a late bloomer to nursing school, so nursing is a second career for me, and my first career was hotel sales and catering. Uh, <laughs> I didn't and, know that. Uh, and then when my, <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that on another podcast okay. episode, perhaps. But the, um, but I always, I always wanted to be a nurse. I think from the time I was a, a little girl on, but as I became an adult and got serious about the idea of becoming a nurse, my plan was to become a, um, a labor and delivery nurse. Maternity care um, is my clinical domain, always has been. And so I was going to become a labor and delivery nurse and then go back to school and get my master's and become a nurse midwife. And because I was a um, second career nursing student, I was thinking, well, I don't know if at my age I'm going to want to take call as a nurse midwife. And so what else can I do for graduate school? And um, and so I thought of the idea because I've always been very practice focused, even as a new nurse. Um, what can I do to become more of of a leader in practice. And so the clinical nurse specialist role um, was um, very appealing to me. But there is no, still today, um, more than 20 years later, um, OB or perinatal clinical nurse specialist certification exam. So I started thinking about informatics for its applicability to systems analysis and design, um, data management, um, and those real um, specific domains that are part of informatics, but are also key in any kind of, of population-based advanced practice-related role. So, and it was this was in the early 2000s at a time when, even though informatics had been a recognized specialty for probably seven or eight years at the time, nobody really knew about it, um, and I frankly uh, and practically thought this would be really marketable. Mm. Um, so um, so that's why I chose informatics. And I finished my uh, graduate degree um, with a focus on both nursing administration 
and healthcare informatics. And then I, um, shortly after that, got my certification in informatics. But it's one of the reasons why I've never been in informatics exclusive or informatics IT specific roles, because I've always been much more connected to practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always knew that from the first time I met you. We're like, (laughs) we're kindred spirits here. (laughs) Yep, yep. So I was not surprised, Kathy, when I saw your article come out. Um, it was published uh, January of 2019, just this year, called The Tug of War Between Practice and Technology. Yeah. And I got so excited when I read just the title, because that's the tension that we know is there and that passion that Tracy and I have had, too, in trying to really leverage that that tension. So I love the title right away. Mm-hmm. Tug of War. <laughs> it is. It's and a Michelle's a real symbolic kind of person. I so am. it's a yeah. symbol to her. It right? is. So it just spoke to her heart. <laughs> it did. <laughs> well, I, I either picture it as a physical tug of war with a rope or about, ba- you know, kind of the balance and scales and yeah. how they, they really do get, it's really hard to keep that balance um, that balance. There mm-hmm. always seems to be either too much technology and not enough practice or too much practice without using technology appropriately to support it. Exactly. Exactly. So I thought in the article, you did a great job kind of summarizing our evolution um, in nursing practice when it comes to moving into technology and the EMR. And we certainly know it's applicable to all professions. But can you just give us a little synopsis on, and describe to our listeners kind of where we came from and how we got here when it comes to, you know, documenting in the electronic health record? Well, sure. So I think it all goes back to um, how we manage change or don't manage change. And in my opinion, when it comes to electronic documentation, we were really trying to minimize the change. And therefore, we were trying to make our electronic systems look as much as the paper-based systems that we were already using um, so that the, um, the newness and the change to the end user would be minimized. So we tried to make the forms look the same. We tried to capture the same data elements and if we captured the same data or information on two different forms we really didn't care if they flowed from one form to the other because in the paper record they didn't do that Um, nor did we really seem to think about who else needs to see that information because in a paper chart they just looked at in the sections that were applicable to them but they knew where everything else was Um, if they wanted to go look for it. And then in the electronic world, they had to have permission to see it sometimes, right? Because not all physicians have, you know, permissions that, you know, that they can see nursing documentation and nurses may not have permissions to see everything that the provider documents. So um, we tried to be really good. We thought we were doing a really good thing about that and um, and now we've ended up with these bloated siloed systems um, that w- are really not effective for anybody yeah. Um, yeah I remember going to one of my first um, vendor conferences on a session it was about multidisciplinary documentation I was so excited because I, I thought what's this gonna look like in the new world with technology and I, I remember sitting in the audience going this is just like the paper chart. They still got the respiratory tab, the PT tab, but now it's just in a computer. There's really nothing different about it. No. 
Yeah. Right. And I think that if you I think when you talk to a lot of our vendor colleagues, um, what they're really struggling with still is that interdisciplinary care plan piece, um, both from an interoperability standpoint. Right. So whose documentation is the source of truth that flows forward to that interdisciplinary plan of care? Is it the nurse's physical assessment of the patient or the provider, the billing provider's physical assessment of the patient that flows through and gets summarized um, as the basis for the plan of care? That's just one example. But I think that's why um, interdisciplinary plans of care um, are having such a hard time getting adopted and getting rolled out by the by the major vendors because we don't want to let go of our silos in a lot of cases. Um, and we don't, we, we want, we, you know, we, we, we think we need to document um, all of these things that we document, we meaning the individual member of the care team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we have got to get a whole lot better about is, um, you know, who needs to document it and whose documentation is going to flow forward and, you know, how do we, um, how do we get a product that is really helpful to us and to the patient. You know, what, what of the patients? Data, yeah. Well, right. Um, right. And especially today, especially today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And it, it's complex too, right? Because there's regulatory issues, you know, some, some of the um, clinicians, right. They have to document certain things because of regulatory, you know, proof and, oh, you know, it gets complicated. Um, I think in our hearts, we want to share information. I don't think anybody wants to document more than they have to, right? But sometimes it's those old structures and systems and we don't change what's underneath, right? We just try to put it in the electronic format, right? Mm-hmm. And think that that's going to change it. So it's just... Right. Well, and I think, so there are some a couple of really important um things that have happened in healthcare recently that I I think contribute to support for a more integrated record. And my my biggest, most glaring example was when the first Ebola case happened in Texas. And the the patient had actually told the nurse that um, the patient had been out of the country and it was documented in the record, but in uh, a segment of the record that the provider never saw. Um, and so that information never got conveyed. Um, and it's when we have um, glaring patient and public health safety issues that result from our inability to share and have data across domains that mm-hmm. gives us all ammunition for a more interoperable, less cumbersome record. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think, too, for me, years ago, you know, I mean, it, it was just the documentation was a task, right? Mm-hmm. It was something you had to do. It was a requirement that you had to do. And I if think you didn't that, document, you didn't do it. Exactly. Yeah, right? right. And yep. um, everybody's accountable. I'm accountable, right, to put this in here. But I think for me, you know, as we did our work in the hospital and interprofessional documentation, it was shifting my own mindset around the value of what I was entering. And that it was meaningful. It was a representation of the story, right, of the patient and my contribution to that. And so I think there's a part of it that's what we put in and how we put in, but a lot of it too is how we think about what we're Mm -hmm. doing and the value of what's there that others are documenting that, you know, it's valuable to retrieve it. Um, So I think that's another Mm -hmm. element of all of this. Mm -hmm. 
right? right. Is that how, what our mindset is it around is what mindset. documentation is. <laughs> and it is a reflection of practice, yeah. right? And yeah. it should reflect the practice. Yeah. So I think, well, and we ought to be able to get a sense of, um, so putting my nursing research hat on for a second, we ought to be able to get a sense of what the nurse was thinking or is thinking, um, about what, what's going on with the patient from what he or she documents in the record. Uh, if we're, if we really are documenting to tell the patient story, Story and our care story of the patient as the member of the care team, then we ought to be able to glean from that record what, you know, some of the elements of critical thinking and clinical judgment that the, that the nurse uses to make decisions, um, you know, and sometimes it's just by, uh, I, sometimes we use as a proxy, for example, the amount of times that the nurse is in the room, the amount of times that the nurse makes a note in the record, you know, kind of gives us a sense of, you know, the nurse is thinking that this patient needs more in, um, intensity of care or surveillance. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all tools that we can use, but it's hard to get at that from the way our EMRs, EHRs are currently organized. Right. Well, one of the things in your article um, that I think really spoke to me, too, was the use of governance, right, and infrastructures to bring, um, you know, the different stakeholders together. Can you just tell our audience a little bit about that? Sure. So um, so in my last organization, I came into the organization at a time when, first of all, it was a, new, a fairly new health system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to tell you that I got to the health system um, with the understanding that they had been on the same um, EMR vendor for more than 12 years. And putting my research hat on again for a minute, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what a data rich resource that's going to be. And I'm going to be able to, you know, query the this very robust data warehouse and learn about nursing and not so much. I was going to say, what <laughs> happened there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because um, the yes, all of the um, hospitals within this health system were on the same platform. Um, none of the documentation or the data was set up in a standard format. Yeah. Yeah. So it might all be in the data warehouse, but not necessarily in the same format. Um, still much too much um, narrative documentation. Um, the discrete documentation, discrete data fields that were there were not at all aligned from a um, consistency perspective. So it became um, real clear that there was a need for some optimization and standardization of the platform. And the other thing that, that I learned, um, the organization um, had just brought on a new uh, chief health information officer. And the chief health information officer um, had been the third in about two years. So there had been no consistency in that um, position. Had never been a chief nursing information officer. And so really any changes that happened within the EHR were individual facility and sometimes individual unit based where the, um, you know, 
somebody would read an article and they would say, gosh, this is a really good tool. And this hospital was able to put that in their EHR and they would come to their uh, analyst at their local facility or even in their local specialty. Because as you know, some hospitals are set up so that each specialty has their own analyst. And so, um, you know, we want to put in this scale or this tool or this um, you know, change our, we want our documentation to, to flow this way. And what that led to was the, um, this record that was so over bloated, um, that, um, I think when it, we ran statistics, the organization ha was documenting 10 times the number of distinct data elements on admission as any other integrated delivery network in the system or in the that the vendor yeah used. their community yeah and all of that came from a lack of governance so what i mean by governance is that somebody on the clinical side is the um is the source of yay or nay for what changes can happen and coordinates the um, development of a strategic plan for um, using and optimizing the electronic health record. Um, you know, things like, you know, we've, we've added something, can we take something away? You know, so many times we add, we never think about what we don't. Yeah, yeah right. right? Um, uh, and every time we have a Sentinel event, it's got, we oh, well, if we just put a task or a reminder in the EHR, that'll fix it. No, yeah. doesn't fix it. Yeah. Um, and so you need you need governance of a uh, um, and the way I really like the way um, our CHIO thought of it, and that was you need a um, you need a, a CC person, and that is a clinical person who is the um, who is responsible for the clinical content of the EHR, and you need a TT person, so a technical person who is in charge of the technical aspects of the EHR. Um, and then you need a TC person, so a technical um, person who is responsible for the clinical aspects of the EHR. And I really think of that TC person um, as the informaticist. Mm -hmm. um, they're that person that can connect um, practice, clinical care, and the technology, the technical aspects of what it actually takes to implement that in a usable way so that it's not burdensome for the clinician, but provides um, what the clinician needs in order to do his or her job. Yeah, and I, I think, too, it's, um, I guess, one of my perspectives as well is um, you need some really strong guiding principles and some yes. intentional yeah. design principles that they're kind of like the guardrails on the EMR highway, right? Right, right. <laughs> they keep, keep you from, you know, right. careening off in different directions. And I think when you have those in combination mm -hmm. with some kind of governance or leadership mm -hmm. group that is well aware of those principles and guidelines, you know, that they can make their decisions based on those types of things, then I think that leads to a lot better success. Uh, it, what, that's what I've experienced. Right, and I'll give you a, an example of that that worked well. Um, it was not uh, well received initially, um, just based on the historic history of the health system. But the um, the guard, the primary guardrail that was put up was that um, no changes were to be made to the EHR at all unless they were to 
revert back to what the vendor model workflow was for that particular issue. And if a change was um, requested, then the first um, piece of fact finding that happened was, was there a vendor model related solution to that problem that was brought forward? Um, you know what, and the way that was really sold um, from the health system perspective was that, that this health system, as I've already shared with you, was a very mature user of this vendor platform. And therefore, they really helped develop what became model content. You know, um, EHRs have really evolved and the model solution of today is much more mature and much more in line with um, the way clinicians really work than, as we've already talked about, initial EMR platforms because our vendors were just as willing to make their platforms look like the paper record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. as as the um, purchasers mm-hmm. of those systems mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's all the users that collectively have now created what our vendors are um, marketing as their model solutions. Yeah, right. It's what 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 we learned and and what didn't work well. Uh, on the user side. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the other thing that we didn't really know when we first start start you know, getting started on this journey was that all the customization really impacted the ability to upgrade to the next version. Yes. And that's that's something that's a story for practice and technology. We both should be upgrading at the same time. And what we saw in our experience is the technology kept upgrading, but the practice got slowed down because of all the customization. And so there's a lot of lessons here. And the the reason um, we did, I think, our 12th podcast on the technology platform and the practice platform is we have to elevate our thinking collectively and nationally on this concept because we're still getting pockets of people finally kind of catching on to the standardization and evidence-based practice and why it's so important. But we have to look at it at a really big level to really make significant change, I think, to the, to the health system and patient outcomes from a population health perspective. Yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point that I think we should all be asking, and that is what is evidence-based use of technology? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and you ju- as you were talking that idea just popped into my head. And I'm not sure that we've defined that yet, but we probably, and that's probably for those of us in the informatics community to um, to define or at least give input on. Um, you know, I, I think it's more than using a certified vendor. You know, when yes. you think of the Office of the National Coordinator yeah. for Health IT and, you know, that we need to be using standards and deploying standards, and that's all true and great. But how do we make sure, you know, what is the best evidence related to um, workflow and usability and automation and artificial intelligence and clinical Mm -hmm. decision support, those sorts of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and one of the things, too, that you mentioned um, and you discussed in your paper, I believe, was the role of leadership. And, you know, where, where isn't leadership important, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but consistent leadership. And I know you mentioned there was a lack of that. Uh, but what are your other thoughts just about leadership uh, in regards to this, you know, um, really optimal use and design mm-hmm. of the EMR? 
Um, well, I think very broadly um, that our um, nurse leaders um, and particularly our system um, nurse executive leaders need to have at least a baseline understanding of informatics principles. Um, that there should be a core set of informatics competencies that are part of, and they are, if you look at the core competencies for nurse executives, um, they're included, you know, um, you know, a, a basic understanding of informatics principles, for, for example, like what is usability and what is workflow and, um, you know, why standard data is important. Um, and, and the more we prepare our nurse leaders and our nurse executive leaders to talk the talk rather than just rely on their IT people um, or their informatics people, um, who I think we can all agree have various levels of competency as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, that um, we're we're going to be we're going to keep these silos. And I think because I am a nurse leader, but I do have an informatics background, I I feel like I'm. Um, it's okay for me to say that I think um, nurse leaders and nurse executive leaders have abdicated some of their responsibility for being competent to make health IT related decisions. Um, and that the more mature we get with using technology, the more our nurse executive leaders are going to have to get comfortable talking mm -hmm. about um, technology um, with an educated eye to what these decisions um, that are being made really have in terms of impact um, yes. on their organizations. Every, and and from also from a nurse leader perspective, and I think this is going to help us, is that every nurse leader is now trying to quantify the value of their nursing workforce. Uh, and we're going to do that, I think, through uh, through what is documented and the the data points that we collect about our nursing workforce. Mm -hmm. um, and nursing leaders are going to have to be able to uh, to talk about, um, you know, connecting that data and why it's important to connect, for example, the human resources data and the practice data um, in order to, to really figure out um, the value of the nurse to patient outcomes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we think the competency, they should also have a competency in polarity thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and specifically, yeah. this polarity, well, right? Yeah. The practice and technology polarity. Um, but, you know, and, you know, another area that, um, that, and this was really brought to my attention by, I don't remember who it was, but it was a really wise person recently who reminded me that we do a pretty good job sometimes of, you know, every nursing program now has some informatics content. The BSN Essentials include some informatics content. MSN Essentials do. Um, the DNP Essentials do. But we really have a whole generation of a nursing workforce that got none of it. Right. And yes, we've trained them how to use their EHR, um, but we've trained them how to use their EHR. We yeah, have yeah. not really done um, a good job at all in um, helping our um, bedside caregivers understand why we can't just add this field or why um, you want to say it as uh, I'm an OB nurse. So my classic example of 
uh, disconnected data is I call it bleeding and you call it hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and when we do that, we can't match those up. Yeah. So, um, but, we, and so our nurses, um, direct care nurses need some, probably need some informatics competency updates as well. And I don't think we've even scratched the surface of thinking about how to accomplish that. Yeah. It's a, it's a tall order. It is. <laughs> it yeah, is. it is a tall order. Yeah, yeah. sure is. Um, the other thing, too, that really stood out to us in your article, Kathy, was that you're thinking differently about fall prevention because we've worked with many organizations with implementing fall risk scales and whose accountability is it and which one's the best and what's the latest evidence and what if one organization uses this one and another organization <laughs> uses that one. So I was that really popped out at me that you kind of are thinking differently about fall prevention and it's, you know, many people's responsibilities. So we'd like to hear a little bit about that as well. Well, I'm going to give you some um, really um, high points about that approach and some things that were just real challenges, and they kind of tie into everything that we've been talking about already. So, um, so first of all, we, we did um, try to approach falls from the perspective that um, it, first of all, all the data suggests that fall risk scores don't keep people safe from falling. And so the first thing that we tried to, the first principle that we tried to convey to our teams were that the, um, the fall risk score really is a supplement to your clinical judgment. Um, you may be thinking that, you know, based on this person's history um, or what's happened to them or the medications they've been given or the surgery that they've had or the fact that they're malnourished for one reason or another, or they've lost blood, or you know, all of those things that may play a role in whether or not patients are at increased risk for falls, you're thinking about as the, the nurse. But um, we rely so much on that score that we don't intervene as appropriately as we probably should because we're paying so much attention to the score. So that's the first principle, is that we tried to um, to instill in our team that um, the score just supported, or it might refute what you're thinking about. Right. Um, you know, in other words, a person may score really low risk for falls, but you know, based on your care of them, that this has happened and that's happened, and you know, mm -hmm. um, and you know they're at higher risk. So you may not pay as much attention based on your own assessment and intuition. And then the second principle that we tried to convey was that everybody plays a role in um, in per keeping the patient safe from falls, including the patient and family. Right. So I don't think we, we also tried to do a much better job of involving the patient and family in how we were trying to keep them safe mm -hmm. and um, and daily conversations and um, whiteboard updates that suggested that, you know, here's how we're keeping you safe today as opposed to fall risk um, that we sometimes, you know, just write down very callously yeah. um, and, and sharing at safety huddles, you know, this is why I think Mr. X in room X is more at risk for falls because he just had a new medication and it's making him dizzy and, you know, that, those sorts of things. So, we tried all of those principles and if i had been able to so we tried to get our nursing team to focus on the physical assessment of the patient and not the fall risk tool and then we read 
that the Joint Commission recommends the use of a fault risk tool. <laughs> so that kind of um, meant that we needed to use one. And so then our approach was, well, how do we put this fall risk tool in the context of the physical assessment? So what, uh, what that the nurse documents then can flow over to the tool um, that helps that, that fall risk be calculated. Well, I will tell you, our, our nurses were so concerned that the tool wasn't going to be in the same place and they were not supposed to concentrate most on that, um, that we spent more time talking about how to document fall risk and how to keep patients safe from falls. Yeah. And it was really, really frustrating at mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. But then what happened was really cool um, because we started bringing the, our fall risk champions at each of our facilities together um, on a monthly call. And finally, they started having um, some really good conversations about how, hey, we've added a pharmacist to our falls prevention team. And they are very helpful to us in identifying the medications that we really need to be paying attention to that can really place patients at increased risk. And another facility would bring up, oh, we added a physical therapist to our fall prevention team also and they've been very helpful in how we think about mobilizing our patients and they all added a physician to their team because it were and really um, started having the physicians start having conversations with patients about why it was important that they stay safe from falls so it, they started having these conversations on their own and then started having conversations on you know i really think we need to look at the mobility protocol and how we mobilize patients and i think if we keep them more mobile and less restricted to bed we're going to keep them from having such muscle wasting that places them at increased risk for falls um, now i have to tell you this was after we heard from one of our teams that, well, our nurses are so afraid their patients are going to fall and their unit's going to get dinged. They're just not getting their patients up at all. <laughs> so we navigated that practice yeah. issue. Um, but then they all got on that. Well, so what do we need to do about mobility? And what do we need to do about, let's take all the um, routinely ordered sedative medication off of standard orders. And, you know, all of those things that we could do that were not related at all to the tool, but were really mm -hmm. going to help keep patients safe. And as I was transitioning back to Tennessee, um, there we, we really had facilities that were starting to see um, some real outcomes in decreased falls from the work that they were doing. And it was really fun to watch. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it is yeah. really great when you see uh, an interprofessional team come together like that, right? And mm -hmm. everybody's making mm -hmm. a contribution and they're collectively owning the outcome of that and then reaping the benefits, um, you know, with their, along with their patients of the outcomes of that effort, right? That's really right. Great. Well, and they were bringing each other along. Yeah. You know, we, could, we, had, we had many different facilities of many different sizes, many different resources. And hearing from each other helped them to um, to figure out, you know, what they could adapt and how they could adapt it to their yeah. own setting. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I found too in working with, uh, in working in so many different healthcare organizations with them as they were, you know, implementing EHRs or upgrading 
um, really it's where you put the emphasis. Mm -hmm. And if you emphasize, you got to get the risk screen done, right? Then that's where they put all their attention. That's where the focus is. That's where the focus goes. And that's all they think about, right? So you, it just takes some effort. Um, and, and again, I think this ties back to leadership, right? It's like, if the leader's gonna, you know, put the hammer down and we got to have this done and it's all about the scale, then that's what's going to drive the practice. Mm -hmm. And it's going to drive the attention of the clinicians, where if you have a little bit, you know, broader, expansive view of the practice. And that's what I loved about what you did with this is you changed the practice, Right. And then, mm-hmm. okay, so then how do we leverage the, the technology or the documentation? But let's, what kind of practice do we want first? Right. And I, that's what I really yeah. appreciate about yeah. this. Um, well, and that was the important piece, but, but it's also a piece that um, if anyone who will listen to this episode thinks that this was, was or is going to be quick, you do not change nursing practice quickly. Um, particularly long-standing nursing practice, as we know, we know the whole adage of it takes 17 years <laughs> to get new evidence into practice. Well, it takes a long time to get the focus to change from um, one direction to another, and to really get um, thinking to change around how we practice, mm-hmm. um, because I think we've been. In some cases, and I think this health system was very focused on using the technology to to kind of dictate and guide their practice, mm-hmm. um, rather than practicing and then documenting what they did. Yeah. Yeah. So it was slow, and I think the slowness was very frustrating, particularly to those of us on the system team who were thinking, "Well, this is not rocket science. This is mm-hmm. going to happen pretty quickly." Well, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was still very much a work in progress after, um, you know, two years. Well, and I would venture to say it's the same for the other professions as well. So nursing isn't yep. alone in that, right? right? It's all of us. We're, no, we've got practices that are embedded in us, you know, and it just, it takes a, a long time to shift the thinking, yep. turn the ship around, right? Get everybody aligned. And, uh, but how worth it, right? So yes. I think the other thing is don't let that stop you. Just because it may take time doesn't mean it's not worth the effort or it's not it's, worth the time. Right? So true. So mm-hmm. true. Don't yeah. let that deter you yeah. from taking it on, you know, because it can just have such significant benefits as you found, right? I'm curious yes. if um, this experience with the falls and the interprofessional team, if that's, um, you know, kind of um, stimulated any other thinking for you um, in regards to how else you could leverage interprofessional teams. Uh, you know, for other practice changes, if it's kind of stimulated any thoughts for you about that? Well, I think any of the, um, so I've always been somewhat skeptical of the term um, nursing sensitive measures, um, because I think in any of the things that nursing sensitive indicators, so pressure ulcers, central line infections, um, we talked about falls, um, but, you know, any, any of those um, measures that we consider sensitive to nursing care, they certainly are, but they're not nursing's alone to own. 
And so uh, any of them um, can, and I think we are starting to read in the literature, do benefit from an interdisciplinary perspective, including the patient. I guess I can't stress enough that we have got to start involving yeah. our patients in, in their care. And, um, and whether it's to for them to be, you know, asking questions about why Dr. X didn't you wash your hands when you came in my room, right? We all think we've, you know, um, we've got kind of gotten on that train, but from as simple as that to, um, you know, we are, you know, these are things that are very important to us um, for you and you need to be involved in them. Here's how we're going to keep you from being readmitted to the hospital and you need to help us by talking to us about, you know, things that are going to make it hard when you get home to get your medications mm-hmm. or get back to follow-up visits or, you know, how, um, how many times do patients say they take their discharge instructions and they're thinking in their head, yeah, I'm never going to do that. I'm never coming back. I yeah. can't afford that medicine. And we yeah. don't have that dialogue Right. Um, so back to your recent podcast on directed versus shared decision making. Right. It's, uh, you know, um, handing a list of instructions without the, um, the return dialogue, the engagement, on whether yeah. or not those things are going to be workable. Mm-hmm. 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 So I think we can do that among our interdisciplinary healthcare teams. But I think we cannot underestimate the importance of the patient and family in in those conversations also. Yeah, and with the rise of consumerism, they're going to expect it more and more. So, and they should, uh, right? It's part of the definition of evidence-based practice too. Is the patient's preferences and values are part of the care process? So, right. how do, yep. So, how do we integrate that into all of our technologies and our practice? So it's really represented. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm so excited about your transition from. Um, you know, from where you were to going back to Vanderbilt. And I had the opportunity to see Kathy recently at the, the ANCC Magnet Conference and um, learned you're going to be focusing on research. So another, another back to your roots. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit <laughs> yes. about your position. Or, just, or another root, let's just call it that. <laughs> and I like the way that you use the Midwest root and not the Southern root. Right. So... Uh, <laughs> Always gives it away. That's right. It's like it soda and pop, yeah, right? It, that's right. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I'm very anxious to get back into um, first of all my own area of doing some research, and um, and which is related to the data that nurses use and what we can learn from it, um, and to the um, the ability to help um, Vanderbilt accomplish its um, global nursing research agenda and what that should be and how, um, from an interdisciplinary perspective, um, how important um, nursing research is to interdisciplinary research across the, uh, the research enterprise at Vanderbilt. So um, I, there's great enthusiasm for that here. Um, I'm really excited about, um, about connecting those, um, what are can be siloed, you know, just like practice areas can be siloed, research areas can be siloed mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, I think from a from a funded uh, research perspective, um, national funders are really 
um, don't fund much research anymore that's not interdisciplinary in, in scope. So research teams can be interdisciplinary, but the actual programs of research still can be a little bit siloed if we're not intentional about trying to fix that. So um, I really hope to accomplish some of that while I'm here. Um, and I think having spent the last two years so heavily on the practice side um, has really prepared me well because when I was here a little over two years ago, I was much more on the academic side and not at all focused on um, health system nursing oh, research. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really glad to be able to kind of um, meld both of those domains. Yeah, well, it's a polarity, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you've got the whole yeah. picture now, right? Those, you, oh, I guess I should call those polarities. Yeah. Not <laughs> That's <domains>. okay. <laughs> you can see the whole to picture. To use the right terminology. <laughs> <laughs> you're learning, you're learning. I'm learning. <laughs> and there's a lot of research to be done That's with right. that lens on, too. Yes. So <laughs> That's right. That's something that we've been very interested in is right. really you know, leveraging, measuring the leveraging of these polarities and the difference that it makes in sustainable outcomes is really a big, mm -hmm. uh, you know, passion of ours, I would say. So very much needed. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, do you have any uh, closing thoughts for our listeners as we wrap things up today? Gosh, I, um, I guess the only thing that I would say is I think what we've really been talking about today is exactly the polarity between technology and practice and how important it is for us to really think about both um, whenever we're making decisions about one or the other, um, that it is a yes and, yep. not an either or. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we really need to be um, focused in both areas. And we need to have folks um, on our teams who have expertise in both areas if we're going to be successful. Um, because I think, so one thing I've learned, and this go, kind of goes back to the governance and leadership perspective, you can have practice folks and you can have technology folks, but if they don't have a little bit, at least understanding of the other's um, perspective, um, you're not ever going to be able to really come to um, a solution that, in my opinion, is going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it's exciting for me um, just to listen to this whole episode that there are seasoned, you know, experienced people that have been out there in the field that are really recognizing. I always say so much of this has been a pioneer journey. Like you don't know what you didn't know when we all first got it, got started. Right. But now you can really start to connect the dots and say, hey, you know what? It isn't having the token pharmacist or the token nurse on a committee. This is much bigger than that. It is really understanding these two tensions and what kind of infrastructures and processes we need to put in place. And I think with uh, all of your experience and just your article, it just is really brazing that to the mm -hmm. surface for more people to be aware of that. So yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. 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 It was, that one was, it was fun to write because first of all, it was fresh in my mind yeah. <laughs> and it was, a, it was an ability to let out a little bit of frustration, I think. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I do. So I've heard lots of really positive comments about that article in, in that it was, it really kind of put in print what um, lots of practice related folks think. Yes, um, is the problem with the technology that they use. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine it's not what a lot of informatics folks think about 
the tension they feel when they try to optimize technology from a practice perspective. Yeah. Well, I think it's a tension that's being felt all over the place. And I think it's been felt for quite a long time, but I don't think people know, know what to call it, right. right? Or how, how to describe it. They know what they're experiencing, but they don't know how to, you know, consistently maybe accurately describe that. I think you did a great job in, in your article explaining what that feels like, right? What that, what that can look like in an organization. And I think, and that's the gift I think that we're bringing to and having the conversation around this really is a polarity. Mm-hmm. And yes, we're absolutely. at risk right now, uh, you know, nationally with everything that's happening and the burden of documentation and for everything to be blamed on the technology, right? And to have that overemphasis on we got to fix the technology when some of these things are actually looking at the practice as well. And so I think this is a very timely conversation, and I'm Mm -hmm. just really grateful to be uh, on the airwaves with you today, and thank you so much for such an interesting conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Have a great day. All right. Yep. See ya. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.